morning. My name is Dylan Meyer. Um, I am the youth pastor here at Westview, and so if you guys have been here, thanks for putting up with me. If you are new, nice to meet you guys. Um, I would encourage you, if you have one of these worship guides, um, to go ahead and, and fill that out. There's a connect card here at the bottom. That's what I'm speaking to in terms of filling it out. Um, if you're new, go ahead and fill that out and drop it in one of the boxes in the back so that we can get in touch with you. We'd love to get to know you. Um, if you've been here for a while and if anything new is here or if you have something that you want to lift it up in prayer, um, same thing. Fill that out and drop it off. We would love to come around you in that. Um, a few quick things. One... Just one quick thing. Um, there's a Super Bowl party tonight. Woohoo! Go Chiefs! Go Chiefs! All right, yeah. Chiefs. Chiefs are good. Um, God is great. Amen. Amen. Um, we've been on a journey. Um, we've been in this series entitled "The Life That I Need," um, and and the goal has been to to sift out and to seek out uh, what God desires. For our life, what, what his design is. And the thought process here is that if we would pattern our lives as Jesus did, if we would do what he says and do what he does, then our lives would be better. Not necessarily easier, but better. They would be different. And I think that that would be spectacular. Um, as we've been diving in each week, I feel like God has revealed something new to me that, that he desires for my life and for the life of his people as a whole, that he desires for us to live in love, to live in healing, to, to escape this brokenness and to live in freedom. And, and it's been a beautiful journey. And, and all of this has been structured and kind of outlined with the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been looking at Jesus' teaching as, as like, I mean, every, every teaching he has is amazing, but this one was just something special. Um, and, and we've only hit on a few parts of that. Um, there's, there's a whole lot there. And so I would strongly encourage you to, to take a look at Matthew chapter five through seven, would kind of like hit that, that big gap there where, where the Sermon on the Mount is. We've been hanging out uh, mainly in chapter six. We're gonna be in chapter seven today. But I would encourage you to look at that if you have time. I would encourage you to make time um, to look at all of the things that we've spoke about, but also the things that, that we've missed. Um, because Jesus kind of wraps up, and that's the passage we're going to be looking at today, is, is Jesus kind of concluding thoughts as, as he summarizes the words that we are to live by. That's, that's what this sermon was, was words that we are to live by. And, and so I was sitting with that, and I was considering, well, what are some of the words that I've set out to live by? And so in my office, I have a printed out sheet of wise quotes that I've heard from people that are smarter than me. It's a big list. There's lots of people smarter than me. Um, and so I just, I, I, I write these down, and these um, were impactful when I found them, and many of them have been impactful since. And so I'm just going to throw a couple of them at you. Um, if they resonate with you, awesome. If they don't, Sorry. The right thing in the wrong season is a curse. Same guy that said that said this, if the enemy can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you. A mistake is only the beginning of the process. Nerves mean you care. Doubt means you're trying to do it alone. 
just put in a good word for Jesus. And then one that I think pretty much gets me through fourth and fifth grade camp on a pretty consistent basis is listen and obey. Listen and obey. All, all of these things have hit me in seasons and have been really helpful. Um, they are words to live by. They're memorable, they're impactful, they're insightful. They leave an impression. A lot like commercials that are supposed to be memorable, right? The, the goal of a commercial is to get you to remember a product. And so in order for them to do that, they coin phrases, they give you images, they, they try to leave you with something that's impactful, something that's maybe insightful, something that's maybe influential, something that's memorable. The goal is to present you with an image, an image of what you want your life to be. You see, a commercial is not about selling you the product. It's about selling you a story. When they present you with something, they're not saying, buy this hair product. They're saying, if you buy this hair product, then your life will look like this. They're not saying, buy this car. They're saying, if you buy this car, your life will look like this. They're not simply trying to give you a product. They're trying to sell you a story, a story that you will live your life in pattern to. And so I was watching a couple basketball games last night, and a Michelob Ultra commercial came on. And this was the phrase that they stapled at the end. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. What are they trying to sell me? They're not trying to sell me beer. They're trying to sell me a life that's enjoyable. But here's the issue. That sounds great, but those are not words to live by. Because if we pattern our life simply after the purpose of pleasure, how far does that go? Are those words that we can live by, or is that just something that sounds nice and tastes sweet on the tongue? See, there's been some controversy over another commercial. I I've, I've was looking at a news story last night that said that at least once, if not maybe two times, there's going to be a commercial that airs during the Super Bowl, which is like, that's the mother of all commercials, right? Half the people in the nation are Chiefs fans or Eagles fans, and they're watching because they love football. Everybody else is just there to watch commercials and maybe the halftime show, right? There's so many commercials. I personally feel like there's more commercials than there are football um, on, a, on a Sunday like this, but one of the commercials that's said to air is entirely focused on Jesus, yeah, that's not bad, right? In this story, the image that is being introduced is that he's a God that gets us. He's a God that understands us. He's a God that knows what we go through. A God that gets us. And this, is, this has been um, an organization that has done this a couple different times. It's been kind of peppered through a, a few different media outsources and stuff like that. But this super, the Super Bowl, this is a big stage. And some of the controversy is, is around, like, is this a wise investment of the money of God's kingdom? Which, 
some of the time, some of the things that we choose to argue about hurts my heart because I'm like, isn't it just amazing that maybe somebody, maybe just one person would see this and maybe understand for the first time that there is a God that gets them. I think that'd be worth every penny. Some of the other controversy is that Jesus is not popular with everybody, specifically in this particular culture and society. But the truth is that a God that gets us, a God that has a design for our life, Jesus Christ, the, the one that lives with us, the one that lives in us, and the one that desires to live alongside us, he gets us. And that is something that I think we can live by. I think we can pattern our life after that because the words that we choose to live by guide our lives. And so what, what words are we building our life on? We're going to take a peek at Matthew chapter 7 today. We're going we're gonna to hop in here in just a second at verse 24 when Jesus kind of uses this story to conclude his Sermon on the Mount. And so he's been addressing this, this large group of people in incredible ways and giving them all kinds of insight into how they've been living their lives and how they ought to be living it different. Miraculously, all while completely moving with both truth and grace, gentleness, respect, love, the way that he presents this. I wish that we could see his face and hear his voice when he says these words. And he concludes in this way. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. When I was looking at this, one of the first things that came to mind, I don't know if this makes me a bad Christian or not, I suppose we'll talk about that later, um, was when it talks about the rain coming and the floods coming and the wind that blew and beat and I'm thinking, and the big bad wolf blew that house down. See, there's, a, there's lots of different ways that we can seek what God is speaking through Scripture. One of the ways that I did that this week was just to look at it like it was a story. Like it was a story that God had written as if someone was writing a book to a child. And so I was, I was looking at this and... And I was looking for symbols because that's the most beautiful thing about children's stories is it, it's always so nice and delightful on the surface. But then the more you look at it, there's a depth to it. Some of the things that are spoken of, some of the, the things and images that are referenced, it's always deeper than that. And so I was thinking of symbols because Jesus does this a lot when he speaks. He uses parables and he uses stories and he uses these themes that allow us to see something on the surface 
and then let it sink deeper. And I know that God uses these loaded symbols because everything that we do is full of them. The things that we do that are so full of loaded symbols. One of them is, is communion. Communion is a loaded symbol. Everything that we do about communion is something that's deeper and richer. When we, when we grab the bread, we're grabbing Christ's body. When, when we pick up the cup, we're holding in, in our hands the blood that washed us clean. But then even then, it's deeper than that because we see that when Jesus died for us, he was the perfect Passover lamb, which points to a beautiful symbol of the Old Testament. And when we look at the bread, we understand that, that God provided bread for the Israelites when they were in the desert starving. They had new bread every day that they called manna. You see, there's these loaded symbols. Everything that we do points back to something that speaks to God's consistent character. And so when I was looking at this passage, I saw that the wise man builds his house on the rock. What is the rock? One of the first things that came to my mind was standing stones. You see, there's this idea in the Old Testament where anytime they encounter God in a special way, they would start stacking rocks, or they would find a big one and they would stand it up. It seems ridiculous, but the idea here was that then every time they came by it again, they would see that stack of rocks, or they would see that stone, and they would see that it was standing different, and they would remember that God had encountered them in a special way. Standing stones. The next thing that came to mind was, was Moses. When, when he had led the people out of Egypt, and God had freed them from the oppression of Egypt, and, and they're moving toward the promised land, and they're lost because they're idiots, but they're lost, and God's with them anyway. And they're in the desert, and they need water to live. And God says to Moses, speak to the stone, and it will become a spring of water and life. And so what does Moses do? He hits it with a stick. But regardless, the water came flowing from the stone and offered them water, life in the desert. The next thing that comes to mind is, is Joshua who was the next person still continuing to lead the Israelites to the promised land, seeking to, to fulfill God's promise to the people, and, and in their path is the Jordan River, and they cannot cross. And so God says, lead with the Ark of the Covenant, and the waters will split. You will cross on dry ground. And when they had finished that, they set 12 stones, each one of them representing a tribe of Israel, to remember that God had presented them with a path. And then the next thing that came to mind was David when he picks a fight with somebody that he cannot beat. He picks a fight with a giant. He picks a fight with Goliath, and it's very clear that David is, is not the one that's going to win this battle. But it's also not Goliath. You see, David knew that he was picking a fight on God's behalf, and God was going to take care of business. And so he's preparing for this fight, and, he, and he's seeking what he needs to win. And King Saul offers him all of this big, heavy armor. And I'm assuming that David is of small stature. And it just doesn't fit. And so what does he do? He grabs what he knows. He grabs the sling 
that he had been practicing with for years, the thing that God had prepared him to use well, and he grabs what out of the crick? Because I'm a redneck, it's not a creek, it's a crick. He grabs what? Five smooth stones. And he used at least one. What were the other four for? I don't know. And then the next thing that came to mind was Nehemiah. The Israelites were in exile. And Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem to rebuild everything that God had made great. But one of the most important things for a city of that time was to have a barrier, a wall of defense. And this one was broken. And so what did God do but to set Nehemiah and the people of Israel on a path to rebuild the stone wall so that God could protect them as they rebuilt Jerusalem? And he protected them with a stone wall. Oh, but it gets better. You see, because then, then this guy named Jesus, he came here, and he walked with us, and he talked with us, and he spent time in a relationship with us, and then we decided that we didn't like him so much, and so we crucified him, and he was dead for three days in a tomb that was sealed with a, what? A stone that then was moved and Jesus came to life, and in that new life, we were all given new life. You see, it's not just a rock. It's not just a stone. It's representative of something that's bigger than that. It's representative of a God who loves us, and he's moved mountains. I think he can move a stone. It's not what we build our life on. It's who. It's not about a rock. It's about the rock that David speaks of in Psalms after he says that God is my rock and my fortress. It's about the God that is spoken of in the New Testament when it refers to Christ as the cornerstone of our faith. It's about building our life on Jesus, our God who sustains us as he sustained Moses in the desert, our God that leads us to his promise as he led Joshua and the Israelites to his promise. It's about the God that conquers our giants as he conquered David's giant. It's about our God who protects us as he protected Nehemiah. It's about our God who defeated death to give us new life. Now let's bring it forward. It's about our God that offers peace in our anxiety. It's about our God that offers hope in our depression. It's about our God that offers healing into broken relationships. It's about new life. It's not just rock. It's about a God that has always loved us, always sought after us, and he's going to do it again and again and again because he is a solid rock. The life that we need is built on Jesus. Centered on our relationship. Focused on the idea that our, our purpose is not to seek pleasure. Our purpose is to know him and to love him. Oh, but there's so much pleasure in that. We need to build our life on Jesus. We need to establish our life on his word and his truth. Those are words to live by. Because when we look 
at Scripture. God is so much bigger than the Bible. Don't let him get trapped in these bindings. But I do want to make it clear, having access to this beautiful love letter is such a blessing that we can look at this and we can see back to all the times that he's been a solid rock for people in the past. And then when we see that, we can see the standing stones in our own life because of how we've seen him move here. It teaches us to know his voice. It teaches us his character so that when he says things, we get it. And when he speaks, we can listen because we know his heart, his voice, his love for us. So I'm going to read this again. I'm going to read this passage again, and I want you to think of the standing stones in your life. I want you to think of how God has spoken, how he has moved mountains, how he has removed the gravestone. Whatever stone has been in your life, I want you to consider your standing stone and how God has spoke to you. And then I'm going to read this passage one more time, but I want you to, to try to listen for what you think his voice would sound like. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. Jesus desires for us to build our life on the cornerstone. Not because when we do it wrong, he gets the opportunity to say, I told you so, but because he loves us so much that every time we fall, it hurts him too. He desires that for us. And so he wants us to build our life on him as the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? It is the very first piece laid of a foundation because every other thing has to line up with that. Every other piece of the house, every other moment, every other thing has to be correct in reference to that cornerstone. Because if you don't, if you build the foundation and it doesn't line up with the cornerstone, it falls. If you build the foundation, but then the house doesn't line up with the cornerstone, it crumbles. And it probably looks awfully weird before it does. You see, the whole house has to be built in that space. My wife and I bought a house a couple years ago. It's old. It was ugly. It's not as ugly now, but it's still old. And here's the thing about old houses. Nothing is straight. Nothing is straight. And so we've done lots of things to help fix up that house. It's a miracle that we, we established this because I couldn't get my wife to look at it because it was... It needed some TLC. But I, eventually I sold it on her, and since then we've been fixing it up and we've been changing things, but here's the thing. We've changed lots of things on the surface, but you know what we can't change? The foundation. And so everything that we've done since then has to be done in reference to that foundation. Because if it doesn't, it doesn't fit in that house. And so our house has to be built 
on a foundation. Everything in our life has to be correct in reference point to that. Our whole life. Whole sounds pretty good until it means everything. You see, because in my life, there's lots of times where I come forward and I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything except for this. Jesus, you've done so many amazing things for me. You've moved mountains. You've conquered giants. I'm going to give you everything but this. But here's the thing. He wants our whole life. He needs our whole life. If our house is going to stand, it has to be the whole house on the same foundation. And so it has to be everything. It can't be, Jesus, I give you everything except for my finances. Jesus, I give you everything except for how I act in my workspace. Jesus, I give you everything except for my habits. Jesus, I give you everything except for my anxiety. Jesus, I give you everything except for but this, but not that. If this house is going to stand, if this life that we need is going to be sustainable... It has to have the whole thing standing on that foundation. Everything built on the cornerstone. It has to be in line, in step. Here's another thought for you. When we, when we replaced the flooring in the main part of our house, we used a, a, a plank, okay? Like, it looks like a wood plank, but it's not a wood plank. But it's tongue and groove. And so we, we, we set the first couple pieces, and then everything else was built to be in step with that, right? Same idea as the cornerstone. It has to go that way. If it doesn't go that way, it doesn't go together, which is super annoying, because you want it to look perfect, right? You want it to look how you want it to look. And, and so there's times that I'm like, well, would it look better if, if instead of lining it up with that piece of wood, what if we lined it up with the furniture so that we had the prettiest part of the floor with the prettiest part of the house, right? And so what if, what if we lined up the floor with the furniture? Or what if we lined up the floor with the TV? But here's the thing. You know how many times the furniture in my house has moved since then? Am I going to take everything apart and completely rebuild it every time a subtle shift happens? Or what about this? What if, what if we build the whole thing and then we decide what, we just want this one piece to look different, right? It doesn't need to line up with a cornerstone. So what if, we, what if we build the whole floor and then we walk straight to the center and then we cut out a spot for this one piece that I like a lot? But it doesn't fit with the rest. It doesn't belong there. You see, God wants us to have our whole life in step with his corner stone. Because we have to build our house on the rock, not the sand. Here's the thing about sand. It's temporary. Okay? Sand stays exactly where you want it until you blow on it or until you you wash it away with water. You see, and that, that's the storm, right? The rain came, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat. Where did the sand go? It's not underneath the house anymore. So if we need that kind of support, that kind of foundation, it can't be made of sand. 
because sand is temporary. Here's the thing. Sand isn't bad. Sand isn't bad. I'll take you back to symbols here. This is a loaded symbol for me because when I think of sand, I think of a couple things. The first one is vacation. And let me tell you, vacation is not bad. Okay? If I get to take sun naps on the beach with my wife, that sounds fantastic. That's not a bad thing. You see, sand is not a bad thing, but it's a bad foundation. You see, pleasure is not a bad thing, but it's a bad foundation. Okay? It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Not words to live by. But that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy what God gives you in life. Sand is not a bad thing. But it's a bad foundation. Because the storm comes. The storm always comes. The rains are coming. The floods are coming. The wind will blow and beat. And that is such an ugly truth. And God has this design for us that's going to bring healing. It's going to bring life. But it's not full, not, not just yet. You see, that perfection in completeness, we're still waiting on. That happens when Jesus comes again. And so what do we do in this space where we're caught in the tension between? Because until that happens, brokenness is a part of our reality. And so here's the thing about storms. God promises to establish a firm foundation that will withstand the storm, but not avoid it. You see, the, the storm is coming, and God offers us a firm foundation that will hold us fast and, and keep us safe and sound within that house that's built on it. But that doesn't mean the storm isn't going to come. We can withstand it, but we can't avoid it. And so I've asked you, what is, what is your rock? What is your standing stone? The question now is, what is your storm? What is beating against your house? What is, what is washing and flooding at your foundation? I don't know what's shaking you. What is it? It is an anxiety about tomorrow. Is it woundedness from yesterday? Is it broken relationships? Is it lost siblings? Is it wounded relatives? Is it sick, love, sick loved ones? I don't know what your storm is. But the only thing that I can offer is a firm foundation to establish your life on him because the life that we need to withstand the storm requires Jesus as the firm foundation and some of us have attempted over and over and over again to build our house on the sand and every time the rain comes we just grab the hammer and start rebuilding because that's what, that's what we know. That's the rhythm, the habit, the, the space that we've been in. It's familiar, it's comfortable. And so we're real good at building a house because we've had to do it 17 times. 
But I don't know that God wants you to build it the 18th time in the same spot. Maybe it's time to move to a more solid foundation. And so I don't, I don't know what storm you're dealing with today. I don't know how God has showed up for you in the past. I don't know what space you are in. I don't know what he's asking of you today. Maybe it's just as simple as it's time to trust the rock. Maybe it's time to choose him, to understand that it's worth it, to, to just give it a shot. Maybe that's your step today. Maybe, maybe you've been there and you've built your house, but you still have one room that's hanging off the edge. And it's time to either chop it off and let it fall or rebuild it in a different place. I don't, I don't know what he's asking of you. Maybe he showed up in amazing ways and maybe it's just time to celebrate, to look at all the standing stones in your life and go, God, you are so good. And to let that testimony be the story of your life. I don't know what he's asking of you today. But I know that he needs you to build your life on a firm foundation. Because if we can build one house on the solid rock, maybe we can build two. And if those two houses together can get maybe a third person to build in the same spot, then all of a sudden we don't just have a house on a solid rock, we have a community. And every time we do that, it grows. Every time we say yes to the life that we need, we're speaking life into somebody that hasn't been able to grasp it just yet. And so words to live by, the way that we live, the testimony, the life, the story that we speak into the lives of others is establishing not just a house, but a new community, a new kingdom that God desires not just for us, but for everybody. If we want to escape this brokenness, if we want to get rid of all of this pain and suffering, it has to start somewhere. And so maybe that somewhere is on a rock. And everything has to be in step with that cornerstone. And so I don't know what God is asking of you today. But I know that Westview is trying really hard to build our house on the rock. Father, I just pray that as we set our house on your firm foundation, that you would go before us and clear away. That you would come behind us and pick us up when we fall. You would walk alongside us and show us how it ought to be done. Because what we're doing right now isn't working, God. We know it needs to be different. And so, God, I just pray that something different would happen today. Something new would happen today. God, you are so good. You've, you've been constant, and you've been never changing in your faithfulness to us. So, God, I just pray that you would change us to match your faithfulness. God, we love you so much. Teach us to set our lives on your firm foundation. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen. 